Welcome to another episode of How You Can Too with your host, your boy, Alvi, aka Danny, aka Mr. You Can Too. Dynamic blessings. Appreciate you being here today. I have an amazing guest, my good friend, Josiah Wolfson. Josiah is a living kidney donor, and he is here on the podcast to share his experience, why he did it giving out better information on what the process actually looks like and overall everything he's up to with his company, Kidney Abundance. If you enjoy the show, please, please, please share it with your family, friends, and loved ones. It would mean the world to me if you leave a five-star rating and a review of the show. I honor you, I appreciate you, and as always, you can too. Enjoy the show. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome, welcome, welcome. I have a very special guest in the building today. One of my dear friends, somebody who I had the pleasure of meeting over two years ago now when we did a transformational leadership development program together. And it's been amazing to watch both of us grow over this time. And I have none other than my good friend, Josiah Wolfson. And Josiah is actually promoting Kidney Abundance, which is an amazing foundation that he's going to tell us all about. And for all of you listening, Josiah is actually in the process and still recovering from donating one of his kidneys. So Josiah, welcome to the show. And man, how are you feeling, brother? I'm feeling great. Thank you so much for having me, Alvi. It's great to connect with you. Hey, I'm so happy to have you here. And man, I don't know... You're the first person that I've met personally who has gone through the process of organ donation. And I don't know how many people listening to the podcast right now knows anyone like that. But can you just kind of let us know just a little bit, one, how are you feeling coming out of it? And then two, why this was so important to you, why you went through this journey? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, So I donated my left kidney Uh, to Stranger on January 13th, so it's been a little bit over a month now. Um, I had an amazing uh, transplant process. Uh, I recovered quite quickly. This was my first operation I've had, Um, and I know it's not as easy for everyone, but I was actually at a a music festival two weeks and one day after my transplant. I was was feeling great. Um, I'm feeling great now back into my my routine with you know rock climbing and yoga and all the things that I love to do Um, so yeah it was a really really amazing process for me Um, and yeah I created uh, kidney abundance because it's uh, it surprises a lot of people but there are actually plenty of kidneys to solve the kidney shortage crisis in the United States the thing Mm -hmm. is more people need to become living kidney donors in order for that to happen and the more information I learned about uh, how many people are dying waiting for a life-saving kidney transplant and that it was safe for me to donate and save a life, it was, uh, it was a no-brainer for me and uh, a really special process. Man, that's amazing. One, I want to commend you for taking that leap and being of service in the highest way, donating one of your kidneys to a stranger 
and somebody that needs it. And to know that this process started because you learned about really how this problem could be solved if there were more living donors out there who were willing to give their kidney to help another. I'm curious, like what was like the first thing that even brought this to your awareness in the first place? Yeah, so this is something I'm actually trying to put my finger on. Uh, back in 2007, I was backpacking in Argentina as a teenager. I think I was like 16. And I remember seeing a lot of, a lot of issues that I, I wanted to solve. I wanted to help um, you know, promote um, different ways to approach uh, problems that I saw. And I think that's, you know, having become an attorney, that's very natural for me. You know, I, I, I can find the issues but taking that next step to actually take action was something that I didn't do a lot of in my life. So mm. back in 2007, I created this list titled World Problems, and I just had okay. this running list for years, all sorts of things. You know, how can we solve littering? How can we solve, you know, uh, starvation, healthy food, all sorts of different things. And so in 2008, I, I can see on, my, on this note that I've been keeping on my iPhone, I wrote organ donation. So originally, for me, I was thinking, okay, so if everyone became an organ donor, after they died, their organs would be recycled, and they would save the lives of people needing kidneys, hearts, you know, all sorts of different organs. And I saw that only 60% of the U.S. population is registered to become an organ donor after they die. Mm -hmm. And I thought, you know, once, once I was looking through this list, I thought, why... Why can't we solve this problem by registering the remaining 40%? Unfortunately, right. looking at kidney donation, it would only add about 5,000 people uh, or 5,000 kidneys to be transplanted if we registered that remaining 40%. So, hmm. with 100 and what is it, like 164,000 people diagnosed with chronic kidney disease or end stage renal failure hmm. each year, 5,000 isn't going to do the trick. But if you look at it from the perspective of 0.028% of people becoming living kidney donors, we could zero out the wait list. Wow. That is absolutely fascinating how we could cut down that list so easily in that way. And I'm just curious, like doing your research, I know you've had so many conversations with different people who are in this space. What are you finding are the biggest reasons why more people aren't doing this? Are there any like misconceptions out there that you found? Yeah, I mean, there are so many. Um, but let me just, I, I guess, jump into one. Uh, before even getting into the misconceptions, the biggest reason I found just walking up to people on the street, asking people on social media, you know, I'm trying to collect data, like why why is this problem so big? Why can't we solve it? Or why haven't we solved it? Mm. And the reality is more than half of the people that are waiting for a life-saving kidney transplant have never asked someone to be their donor. Wow. That never just blew my asked. mind. Yeah, exactly. Uh. So the fact that people are feeling like they can't ask for support from their family, their friends, their, you know, their circle or even outside of that, I think about for myself, like how would I ask? Would I be able to make that ask? And so yeah, I mean, just, just first, something that blew my mind is the fact that people aren't asking for what they need. And I think that's stopping a lot of people because people tell me, 
oh, maybe I would do it, but no one's ever asked me. No one's ever needed one. Mm, that's so interesting because, you know, I think that parallels so well to the overall consciousness around many people not being willing to ask for help in many different things, in many different aspects of life. And it's one of those things that comes up for me where it's like, man, how does someone get help if no one knows that that person really needs help or if there's no direct ask? So yeah, that's super interesting. And I wonder what it is in those situations that has these people who are in a situation where it is literally life or death um, afraid to ask. And I'm curious to what your feedback has been from the people that you've spoken to who are on a kidney donation list yet haven't reached out to people. Like, What were the common themes that you've seen? Yeah, I mean it's it's varied for sure. I mean, I've I um, actually just posted something yesterday. Um, a 28 year old girl, really a woman, um, stopped going to dialysis and died two weeks later. Mm. And I was talking to her best friend, and she was telling me that she just didn't feel like she was worth it. You know, that it was worth fighting for. That she lost hope. You know, all these different perspectives that people have. And of course, I mean, there are so many warriors out there that are fighting that have been on dialysis for years, and I commend them. Um, but yeah, it's it's a really tough tough ask to make for a lot of people when we're brought up in the society where we're encouraged or commended for being independent, for being you know self starters, you know hustling all all on our own, not needing anyone. No. And then you're put in a situation where you you have to have someone else step in, or else you'll die. Right, right. No, it makes a lot of sense. I mean, we do come up, at least I make up, we do come up in a society where people are rewarded or put on a pedestal when they are self-made in some type of way where, you know, in my reality, no one's self-made. No one does it themselves. Everyone needs help in some type yeah. of way along the way. And to look at it in this situation when we're talking about people on dialysis that need these kidney transplants, it's like to have such a idea of themselves where they're not worth a kidney, let alone maybe even before they needed the kidney transplant where their mindset was around what they're worthy of. I mean, I can just see that being exacerbated when it gets to the point where it's an organ that's needed to, to live and continue life. So I think that's something that, man, the entire everyone listening to this can really think about is you know, where are you not asking for help? Or where are there people in your life that you know need help in some type of way? It's clear as day, you can see it, but they're not willing to ask. Like, how do you bring up that conversation? So that's something I definitely want the listeners to think about. And, you know, as it pertains to what you're seeing now, Josiah, what have you seen has been effective in creating more awareness around really just the lack of resources out there, by resources, I mean kidneys, for people to learn like how they can get better involved or like how they can better educate themselves so that if they are open to something like this, maybe this is a path they can eventually take. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, for me, <clears throat> excuse me, for me, it's been being able to talk to people, you know, looking into their eyes, telling my story, and them seeing, wow, you only have like this two inch little scar next to your belly button. And you were only in the hospital for 26 hours. And you were back on the road two weeks after your transplant. Seeing how, how low the risks are 
and how safe it is and being able to actually save someone's life. I feel like when you look at someone and you tell them you have an opportunity to save someone's life and that really clicks for them, I mean, what? how cool is that? Like, what better thing can you do than be the cause for someone living a life that, you know, they're able to share with their family, with their friends, you know, do the things that they want to do? Because it's unfortunate, but a lot of people, once they're diagnosed with kidney disease, their life completely shifts. They're in a dialysis clinic. They're not able to do a lot of the things they were prior. And being able to give someone their life back, it's just... When I'm able to convey that, and I'm still working on how exactly that looks, mm-hmm. um, connecting with people uh, through my story has been really effective. Um, I know for me, I've had four people that have started the process since just being able to tell my story. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, it's been really cool to see like that feedback, right? Like It's landing for certain people. Yeah, that's incredible that you're, you're literally leading by example, right? You're a example of what's possible and how someone can recover in a really quick way and continue to live their life in the highest way just 26 hours later from the surgery and they're giving somebody the opportunity to live their life at a higher level being able to be with their friends their family and going about doing the things that they love that's incredible for the people listening can you give maybe just a kind of a little overview of what being on dialysis actually looks like. Because I know that, you know, I've heard about it. I've seen it here and there, maybe in like media or like in movies and things like that. But I don't know the exact day to day of or week to week of what it looks like to be on dialysis. And I think that'd be something helpful for the listeners as well, just to get a better idea of how these people who need transplants are living. Yeah, and this was one misconception for me because I thought, oh, well, you know, isn't the alternative you're just on dialysis forever and it's a, you know, maybe it's a different life, but you're still able to live. And just, you know, from the, from the beginning, I want to say that the average person dies within three years of being on dialysis. Wow. So this isn't an alternative. This is, it's, it's essentially just being on like death row, just waiting for the day that it ends. Mm. Uh, it, it's inevitable. So... I just want to start by saying that and there are different types of dialysis and without jumping you know too deep into it uh, you have dialysis where you go to a clinic normally a few times a week I think on average it's like three times a week for about six hours and then you also have dialysis where you can do it at home Um, it depends on on your health on your ability to be able to do it by yourself or to go into the clinic Um, but just kind of understanding what dialysis does, right? So I'm, I'm not a doctor. I'm not, you know, I don't have a ton of medical experience, but my understanding is that it's doing the filtration of your blood that ordinarily your kidneys would do. Mm. So your kidneys filtrate your blood, um, ton, I, I, I forget how many times, but hundreds of times, if not more per day, and then it generates the urine to release the toxins, right? Mm. So that's that's the liquid that you drink and it's it releases the toxins so with people um, on dialysis they're not urinating they're not releasing the toxins but they're still you know these toxins are trying to leave their body and so that's why you'll see a lot of people swell up and with dialysis it's essentially these little straws that are doing the best job they can to filtrate the blood 
Um, it's not the same as the kidneys. It's not you know as great as the kidneys, but um, you know it's it's buying that patient time um, until he or she gets a, a life saving kidney transplant. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I mean that's something that you know I always think is incredible when I think about you know the Western medical system and like some of the biggest benefits of it is that when a person is in this type of state where like the body can't do something for itself, there's a solution there, but it's typically always a very temporary solution, right? And just like you said, for the average person to only live about three years into being on dialysis, I mean, it just shows like, man, there's just so much more that, that needs to be done to be helping these people you know, benefit and be able to to live like a really fulfilling life. And that's why I really want to commend you for the work that you're doing around here. What do you see that's out there in terms of the the resources and the the different, I guess, just pioneers in this field who, like yourself, are, are trying to get the message out there? Like you talk about how telling your personal story has such a benefit have you been talking to other people who are in this type of work and what have you seen them doing that's been effective in really creating more awareness around what's going on? Yeah, so the majority of the focus and the resources are on the side of supporting people that have kidney disease. So, mm-hmm. you know, in terms of healthy living and in terms of, um, you know, different applications to help people monitor their liquid intake and all, all these different types of things um, a lot of non-for-profits that help you know financial support for people suffering from kidney disease and for me this journey started with I mean it made a lot of sense for me I ran a cost-benefit analysis and I was like wow I'm gonna donate a kidney like this is a no-brainer for me I wanted to do it right and it wasn't right away that I was thinking okay I want to be a living donor advocate. I wasn't thinking mm. I want to jump in this space and, and advocate for other people doing it. It was just, a, really, it was a personal thing. I didn't tell a lot of people for the majority of, of the journey. And then I realized that there really isn't a lot in the space for living kidney donation. So for advocacy around information of how healthy or how safe it is to donate a kidney. And so there are uh, a few people I've connected with. Um, Kidney Diaries is a great podcast. Uh, you actually connected me with um, Laura Lee. Um, and I believe you met her husband. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, there really aren't that many people. I started, don- I started volunteering with uh, NKDR, uh, the National Kidney Donation Reg- uh, Registry and they have a mentorship program so i've been mentoring potential donors through the process so those people that hey i want to donate to my sister i want to donate to this stranger but i have all these questions rather than having to do all the research and you know try to figure out these concerns they have they're able to talk to a living donor like myself that's able to answer their questions and walk them through the system Mm, i love that when you talk about you know, these people who are interested, but they have the concerns. Are there any common concerns that you see come up in these people who are interested in donating? Um, so I, I think it varies. I think uh, most people, 
well, everyone fits into one of two categories. You're either mm-hmm. a directed donor or a non-directed donor, meaning you know who your kidney is going to go to, maybe a relative or a friend, or like myself, you know, you recognize that there are tons of people that need a life-saving kidney transplant, and I, I didn't want to pick. I didn't want to d- decide who lives and dies. I just, you know, non-directed, it'll go whoever needs it, and I was fine with that. The mm-hmm. people on the non-directed side... Um, normally the questions are pretty limited um, or just like what does the process look like what does the timeline look like Um, are my travel expenses covered like things like that right just more um, logistical Um, and then on the other side of uh, directed donors it's oftentimes a lot of concerns about um, you know their loved one like trying to do whatever they can to ease the pain or the you know the the difficulty for their kid or their mother whoever it is that they're donating to so then you're answering questions or I'm answering questions about the whole process of what it looks like for the recipient what it looks like for the donor the long-term effects Um, because oftentimes it's someone that's being you know volunteering for something that they don't really know what they're doing they're just like Mm. I want to help my mom whatever it looks like I want to help my mom and then you're starting the process and it's you know it's 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 a big it's a big process, right? You have, it's the most thorough evaluation, medical evaluation that most people have ever had. Mm. No, it makes a lot of sense. I mean, I can definitely see when a procedure like this happens, there has to be so much really due diligence that goes into it and a full screening process and to ensure that, you know, once a person does start this process, it's going to be as effective and as efficient as possible, right? Like that only makes sense to me. And it also gave me clarity to understand like, you know, typically there's two different, you know, buckets that these donors fall into. It's the directed when they know who it is that they're donating to, whether it's a loved one, a friend, someone close to them, friend of a friend, whatever one it may be. And on the other side, it's the non-directed donors where there's more so just questions around the process of what it looks like, you know, what's covered, what's included, everything like that. My question now is, you know, it seems that the people who are in and when i say in these are the people who are willing to donate right like like they're in and they seem like they're very much ready to go ahead and do it and their questions are very simple from that aspect of it but what do you have you found are like the biggest concerns of people who just don't know about this and maybe even more specifically people who have an idea that somehow it's going to be unsafe for them what do those misconceptions look like and ultimately what are some of the answers that you found out there that really ease those questions? Yeah, so this was something that really amazed me, and I think it's a great question because for me, you know, you, you watch the news and especially like in politics and whatnot, you have all of these, all of this fake news, all this information that's out there, um, you know, that are promoting one cause or against another cause, and their funds coming from all different, you know, ways. Everyone has the, their their intentions, their biases and with kidney donation for me it's such a neutral issue it's like who's against donating a kidney where does this misinformation come from Mm. you know there's there's not like some super pact out there that's saying don't donate your kidneys right why is it that there's so much fear around this and i found at least you know this is just my opinion and my experience with the people i've spoken to but the first kidney transplant occurred in 1954 Right, so that was a long time ago. Medicine has come a long way since then, and it actually was successful 
Uh, it was between two identical twins. They're still alive. Um, a great story. Oh, Though wow. with immunosuppressive drugs, um, which are the drugs you take in order for the recipient's body not to reject the foreign organ that's been transplanted, mm-hmm. and with all sorts of innovations with laparoscopic surgery, which is how they inflate your stomach, and they're able to put these little robotic arms in to take out your kidney without this, you know, what used to be slicing half of your body open to take out mm. your kidney, now is a couple centimeters, right? Maybe an inch or two. So it's a lot safer. The recovery is a lot easier. Um, the, the pain is a lot less. There, there are a lot of things that have changed. Though people that were born in the 60s are still alive, right? And parents... <laughs> teach their kids and they those kids teach their kids and you just it's like this big game of telephone oh well i heard this Mm. but how many people are actually on the internet you know reading those medical journals not a lot i i mean i i was practicing law when i donated my kidney well when i decided to donate my kidney you know i had an advanced degree and i knew almost nothing about this i hadn't done any research but i had heard people oh i saw this Grey's Anatomy episode and this thing happened, <laughs> right? And it's crazy. I've seen studies out there where the majority of people get their information about whether something's medically viable from things like Grey's Anatomy or other shows that are out there, pop culture. Wow. And wow. and I can't I can't fault them when that's what's being that's what's out there, right? Like the, unless you're willing to go dig, you're not like turning on the news and seeing wow, this many people are able to donate and this is how quickly they're back to work and this is, you know, the support system for them. Like, that information isn't being promoted in a, in a big way. So this, this, these misconceptions, this misinformation, and I know this is long-winded, but for me, it's us. It's the population not educating ourselves on how necessary this is as a top 10 leading cause of death Mm. and how we can really save an estimated 40,000 people a year. And that's 110 people per day if more Jeez. people would be living donors. Yeah, it's incredible. I mean, to you to, for you to go through and really explain how majority of us got to this point of our understanding of what it looks like to donate our kidney is based off of Grey's Anatomy and other TV shows and forms of pop culture and whatnot. It doesn't surprise me that there's such a misunderstanding on what the process looks like. And then again, if one person is misinformed and now they go and misinform the person who is you know close to them in their life, then of course that person's going to grow up thinking the same things and then just not even think about doing it. I thought that part was fascinating. And then also this idea that there's just, you know, people don't know what they don't know, right? That's something we, we learned in a powerful way. And for you to have an advanced degree, you know, me being a Georgetown graduate and, you know, sticking my head in in a variety of different books, especially even in the health and wellness field, not once have I ever come across anything related to organ donation, kidney donation, you know, what are the actual, if any, like harms of doing it. So I can see why not many people have an understanding or awareness around the process at all something that i think could be really beneficial if you're open to doing it is can you really just walk us through your experience of kidney donation from like maybe some of the prep that you had to do like physically or even mentally emotionally before 
you went into surgery to how you wore post-op that day and then kind of just how it's been over this last month as you've been recovering and letting people know, hey, this is what it looked like. This is what I couldn't do for a little bit, but now this is what I'm back to doing and ultimately giving us a well-rounded view of someone who's actually done it. Yeah, no, I think that's a, a great question and a, you know, a great process to get to walk through. And I actually have been through it twice. So mm-hmm. I started this process, I don't know if you remember, um, a couple years back right. in Miami and COVID hit and I was midway through the evaluation process, which I'll walk through in a second. I just want to share this, that mm. with, with COVID, all quote unquote elective surgeries were postponed for so months, crazy. Crazy. right? And so the fact that this is a top 10 leading cause of death in the United States and it's life or death for a recipient and it's still considered an elective operation, that blew my mind. I mean, not to you know jump too much into the politics of things and whatnot, I know it's a very, you know, people have different opinions, mm-hmm. but whatever you think about COVID, this is not an elective surgery. And the fact right. that the narrative, even from the government or the, the hospital's perspective is this is an elective surgery, there's a disconnect there. Because for me, I look at the numbers and I say, I mean, this is life or death. This is an elective. Right. I'll put that to the side and like address your question. I just wanted to say I've been through this process twice because I started in Florida, in Miami, and then I ended up moving um, midway through COVID because I was able to work remotely and whatnot. And then I ended up in Seattle um, and I actually ended up donating in Los Angeles because I was able to recover at my parents' house who live right outside of Los Angeles. Right. So actually answering the question, um, and, and this is gonna be somewhat simplified, but it starts with the transplant center. You choose what transplant center, um, normally whichever one's closest to you or where you're gonna recover. Um, I applied for, um, like essentially it's like a voucher that pays for travel expenses. Mm-hmm. They'll cover your travel expenses, your hotel stay, your food, um, any lost wages when you're recovering. Um, and it's not one of these like applying to like a, like filing an insurance claim where they're fighting you. Like it's very straightforward and nice. you get a credit card the next day. So they don't want to have these uh, disincentives for people not to donate that otherwise would be able to. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, for me, I was able to do the, choose my transplant center, which was at USC, Keck Medical. Um, and then I got just these basic um, uh, blood tests to check, you know, just basic health. Um, I had to fill out a questionnaire if I had cancer, you know, if I uh, had high blood pressure in my family, if I had diabetes, these big, co- these big um, considerations and whether or not I was gonna be able to donate. And once I cleared that initial screening, I went for two days of testing. Well, let me take a step back. So first there was the independent living donor advocate. And that's yeah. someone that doesn't work with your transplant team. It's someone who represents you as a donor to make sure that it's completely consensual, that you're not, you know, that you're voluntarily uh, wanting to donate, whether you're a directed or non-directed donor. Um, and then, so that was over the phone, first call, um, spoke with him for about maybe 45 minutes, um, explained why I wanted to donate. Uh, he had some questions for me. And then going through the process of, 
all the medical, it's, there's a two-day process where you go into the hospital, everything from CAT scans to blood work to uh, CT scans, all sorts of different things that I never had done before to make sure I'm healthy enough. Um, because they're not going to let you donate. Any hospital, any transplant center is not going to let you donate unless you are healthy and there's not going to be a chance of you developing or a heightened chance of you developing kidney disease in the future. Mm. Um, so I met with a dietitian, I met with um, a social worker, I met with a psychiatrist because uh, I was a non-directed donor and so that was just the, the policy at USC. Um, I met with my surgeon, I met with uh, the nurse practitioner. I, you know, it's, it's a full two days of, of workups. And um, yeah, so, so that was the process of, of getting the test done. And then once they clear me, the whole team has to unanimously sign off that yes, I'm a good candidate. And we proceed with the matching. So they take blood samples, send it to UNOS, which is the, um, the national, um, essentially like the matching for the transplant waitlist to figure mm -hmm. out where my kidney was going to go. Um, and I might be missing a few steps here, but uh, then there was the pre-op and then I went in for my surgery. Mm. Mm. And then walk me through just kind of just how you felt and like just your, your mindset and just those hours right before going in and knowing that you're actually getting ready to do the thing that had really been in planning for over two years, right? Because it started before COVID. Walk me through just your mindset and, and just what was going through your heart as you got to the hospital that day or as you're traveling to the hospital to have the surgery. Yeah, so a few days before my, my transplant date, um, I actually went with a buddy of mine to go skydiving, and I'd never been skydiving before. I love, <laughs> you know, like adrenaline sports, uh, you know, bungee jumping, rock climbing, all that type of stuff, but I hadn't been skydiving. And I, I kind of wanted to commemorate the week and do something fun that I'd remember before, before the transplant. And I remember being in the airplane. I mean, this was just a few weeks back, right? So mm -hmm. I'm, I'm going up, and at, I don't know if you've been before. No, I haven't. As the as the as the plane starts to go up, um, the altitude, you, you just start to, you know, like that. Uh, I guess like the pit in your stomach you're mm. there's like this excitement but the nerves are like definitely present and I guess I would just say like it's a heightened sense of awareness in a way where I know I'm gonna jump like there's no question whether or not I'm gonna jump whatever happens happens I understand the risks going into it and it's the decision I made based on you know my risk tolerance right. so I, as I go up I guess like the two or three days leading up to it just a lot of awareness and being in the moment and just like smelling the flowers I mean it's as silly mm. as it as it sounds just really being present throughout the process I wanted to be able to you know reflect on this really beautiful experience and opportunity and all the way to going into the surgery uh, similar to jumping out of the plane you know I have a meditation practice and being able to just sit you know as the doctors are attaching things to my arms and my legs before I go in and just breathe with my eyes closed and centering myself mm. and uh, it actually kind of makes me a little bit emotional like reflecting mm. on it it was a really special moment both jumping out of the plane 
and that moment before they put you under and it's mm. actually it's a funny thing to me they uh they put the mask on you and i always thought that it was like you inhale and whatever they're putting through the mask is what puts you under but that's mm. just oxygen they're giving you mm-hmm. what the iv in your arm is actually what's putting you to sleep so I was like taking a moment like oh I don't know if I want to breathe yet like I just want to like take this last moment and the nurse looks at me and she says we're already putting you to sleep we just want to make sure you're breathing <laughs> that's hilarious yeah, yeah. right it's so funny yeah. you say that because I have a couple I've had a couple of surgeries in my day and I've been put to sleep and it's so funny I thought the same exact thing and I can actually vividly remember like the smell of the oxygen like before I went to sleep so it's funny you really kind of took me back there for a moment and then when you wake up, it's it's uh, it's like magic. I mean, it's uh, it's a really. I mean, not to to downplay it because I I know people have like really serious surgeries that are really risky, and they would look at this and they're like, well, yeah, that's you know super low risk, um, something that's done hundreds of times at most big transplant centers a year. It's right. you know pretty pretty basic for the surgeons that know what they're doing, but. For me, it was just really exciting because there is a risk and getting to wake up and and look around and be on the other side of something that had been building up for two years was was a really cool experience. Yeah, it's amazing, man. It's amazing. I can only imagine like, I think that one, I think the metaphor, I mean, it's not a metaphor. I look at it as a metaphor because I'm comparing the two, but it's actually true because you did both. But like looking at jumping out of the plane and how that had such a parallel to you going into your kidney donation and how both situations, it's like, one, it's something that not many people do, right? And then two, it's like you yourself went through your own risk analysis and saw like, okay, like I'm comfortable with with what I'm doing, right? I've done enough research on both things to understand that there's a high chance that I'm going to make it on the other side and that you had a lot of peace in your decision. So I don't think there's any coincidence that your meditation practices and how you center yourself and you focus on presence, how all of that allowed you to really take in the situation and be so present to the point where right before you're about to you know, go to sleep, it's like you just wanted to wait and allow that moment to come in just a little bit more to really be there with it. And I think that's absolutely beautiful. And I appreciate you sharing that aspect of it. And then going into, you know, kind of post-op, what did that play out? How did that play out? Yeah. So, um, I think we've talked about before my, Mm -hmm. um, my legal background and some of the clients I represented and whatnot. And, Based on my experience, I didn't want to take any of the narcotics. And right. I talked to my surgeon, my team ahead of time, and, and I made it clear, you know, certain industry I don't want to support. And, and hey, I, I get, like, manage the pain, don't let it get out of control. Like, I completely agree with what the surgeons say. But for me, I wanted to see how I could do uh, mm. with, without the pain medication. So I woke up. And with the laparoscopic surgery, uh, because they inflate your stomach, um, the gas that they inflate it with can settle into your shoulders and be pretty painful. And so they mm. encourage you to start walking to get that gas out of, out of your body. Um, and so I was like so determined to start walking right away. 
So <laughs> I woke up about an hour after they finished my transplant, and I'm in the the um, I don't even know what it's called, like the recovery area um, before I get into my room. So they bring me up to my room, and within an hour and a half of waking up, I'm walking the hallways. Hmm, so. Wow. I walked about three and a half miles that day um, of my surgery. Uh, so it's a morning surgery. I, I guess I woke up like at maybe one o'clock in the afternoon. Um, and I walked around these, this hall 73 times and whatever the math was uh, to do three and a half miles. And for me, it was, it was, um, it was a cool practice of just you know one step in front of the other, right? One foot in front of the other and uh, coming back to like being present and experiencing the moment and really taking it in and reflecting on what I was able to do. Because for me, donating this kidney, yeah, it was able to help someone else, but it also really expanded my capacity for, for love and for connection, for empathy, um, and just, just reflecting on that each time I went around. and. Uh, so for me, yeah, there was some pain in my shoulders. I had some heating pads. Um, I decided not to take the narcotics. Uh, I was in the, in the hospital for about 26 hours. So I went home the next day uh, and they treat you like royalty. When you're a non-directed donor, especially, I mean, I got the corner office type of experience, you know, <laughs> big windows. They were, they were so nice. I had an amazing team of nurses. Mm. Um, and then my mom picked me up, we drove, about an hour and a half to my parents home and I was on the couch for maybe three days and mm. then you know up and up and walking around as much as I could but pretty much you know sleeping on the couch and whatnot and then by day six so um, this might be TMI but like you you tend to not have a bowel movement for because of the the um, the drugs that they put in your system for the surgery Right. It often takes a few days. So by day five or six, when I had my first bowel movement, I felt like I was back. Like nice. I was up and moving around. Um, I felt really good. I, I was taking some Tylenol, but I felt really good. Um, and then I went in for my two-week post-op, and everything was good. And I got back on the road the next day. As you know, um, I travel out of my van. I've been on the road since June. So I was mm. eager to get back out there. Um, there was a music festival a couple, maybe four hours away. So nice. I took off that next day and I've been on the road since then. It's amazing. It's amazing. I mean, it's, it's just awe-inspiring for me to see just one that you went through and that you did this, right? Like what a selfless act of, of love and compassion and all the things that you just said that really you've raised a new capacity for in your own life. I mean, I can definitely see how that can happen through this type of an act. And then to see how quickly you bounce back, like I think it, it puts in perspective for me, you know, what's possible with a surgery like this and with being able to help in this type of way and knowing that, you know, it, it doesn't take much to bounce back, especially when you're somebody who's already very healthy to begin with. And right now I'm just experiencing so much gratitude for really my sense of, of self and just how much you know quality health and wellness i have because there's so many people who don't have that and you, yeah. you know so much about my story especially you know learning with you know just how i dealt with my mom's death and our relationship at the time and i, I know she's somebody who had 
you know, really they, they say her cause of death was due to some type of organ failure. Um, but whereas in you know reality, yeah, her, her organs, you know, started to fail, but it was more so just because of, you know, having a procedure that she wasn't healthy enough to have in the first place. So to see you be able to really help somebody in need in this type of way is absolutely inspiring. And it's a story I hope more and more people get to hear as you're, you're growing, you know, your foundation and the work that you're doing. So I don't know, you know, how many people have told you this already, but man, Josiah, like, you're, you're a gift, brother. And like for you to be able to go out and do this and spread awareness in this type of way and to go all the way back to something that you wrote down in, in 2008 and have it come to completion in 2022 is incredible. And I hope you um, I hope you're proud of yourself. Right. I know it can be very easy to kind of look at something like this and kind of give it like the oh shucks. You know, it's just me doing my part, what I should do. But, bro, it's absolutely amazing, man. And I just wanted you to hear that from me. I so appreciate that. I really do. The words of acknowledgement, the the love that, you know, radiates from from your your presence, your voice, the way the way you're you're expressing that. Thank you. And, and I think for a lot of people, I just wanted to add that, you know, they have questions, they have concerns, and sometimes you listen to things like this and you're like, yeah, it seems too good to be true, but what about this and what about that? And he's not talking about this other situation. And these are concerns I have. And for me, I mean, as an attorney, like I've done the research, right? This wasn't something where it's like, I'm gonna roll the dice and just see how things go. Right. I, the system really has filled in most if not all the gaps it, with concerns people have. Like, for example, a lot of people will tell me, well, I'd love to donate, but what if my kid or my sister or my dad or someone needs a kidney in the future? Mm. Okay, so they address that by the family voucher program. So for mm. me, I have four siblings and my parents, and all six of them have vouchers. So if they ever needed a kidney, it would only be for one of them, the first one. Right. They'd go to the top of the transplant list. So being at the oh, top of the transplant wow. list, you're looking at about maybe a six-week wait compared to if you're not, you're looking at five to ten years. Wow. So like that's just one example. For me, obviously, yeah. I, would, I would also be yeah, – I have a voucher for myself where I, I would go to the top of the list um, and it would be a living donor, which is much more valuable. Like if you look at a deceased transplant, it might last like 15 years looking at a living donor you're looking at about 35 years how long wow. the the transplanted kidney lasts so it's there there are a lot of benefits to getting a living donor instead of a deceased donor and there are other gaps too i mean i could go down the list of of questions i've gotten before and how it is addressed i mean for example people say well with two kidneys you know what if one of mine fail maybe that's why i have two kidneys you know as a backup and the reality is, if you're healthy, your two kidneys have six times the capacity you need to filtrate your blood and do the other things that your kidney does. So mm. if you remove one, you still have three times kidney, kidney capacity necessary. And after you remove one, the remaining kidney that's still in your body increases in capacity 150%. So you're about four and a half times the kidney capacity you need after donating, if you're a healthy, healthy person going into it. And I mean, wow. I could go on and on and I know like I'm getting into the numbers and maybe people are kind of, you know, falling asleep. But for me, it really makes a lot of sense. And so if you have concerns, right, if if there are people out there that are interested in donating, I'd say 
you know, reach out to me on Kidney Abundance on my Instagram page and ask the tough questions. Like I, I believe that there are good responses out there and I've done quite a bit of research and I'm happy to, you know, jump on a call or, you know, text back and forth or whatever that looks like. Bro, I mean, I love that you're so you're so open and willing to do that type of work with people and help them better understand. And something that I think is really important for everyone listening is, you know, I know Josiah personally, and trust me, he is asking the questions. He is doing the research and he's making sure that he has the best understanding that he can possibly have going through something like this. And I know you, you joked about, you know, putting people to sleep with the numbers thing, but Man, I think that's so important. Like, there's a, a lot of people out there who want to see those numbers. And, you know, I know you, you started your Kidney Abundance page and you're doing a lot of great work there. Uh, I'm curious of, like, how often are you going on there and really just, just whether it's one reel or whether it's, you know, a quick IG Live or whatever it is, but, like, kind of what's your process on explaining the numbers? Because those two numbers that you just hit me with in terms of, like the difference between the years of, say, a living donor versus a deceased donor or the numbers around your kidney performance when you have two versus when you have one after you donate. And then also the one that you speak about of how, you know, say a person thinks they got to save one of their good kidneys just in case someone that they love needs it sometime in the future. Like, no, there's a voucher program for that. It's like just within those three things, you provided so much information that can benefit people. How are you going to go about spreading this information through your page? Because it's really powerful. Yeah, so I've, I've definitely stepped out of my comfort zone. Um, and I've been sharing pretty much daily. Um, I'm getting on there as, as much as, as I can. Um, I just launched a TikTok uh, this week. So I'll be posting on there as well. Um, working on the website and also just you know I have I have a table now and I'm going out in in different cities and different events whether it's like the nomadic events that I'm at uh, with van life or other things and just sitting down and talking to people yep. right like I'm convinced that I mean the statistics are already out there the fact that I'm you know healthier than the general population I know my chance of kidney disease is lower than the average person right. but even someone with comparable health I still think I'm better off because look at me like when there are two major ways where you're gonna suffer from kidney disease first you have genetic causes which right. you're gonna find out before you donate a kidney right all the tests normally right. it's from a younger age you see this but they're not gonna let you donate if they see that there's a genetic issue there and those aren't the type of things that just pop up you know at whatever age like you've had it for a while right. so for me I know that I don't have a genetic issue with my kidneys so that leaves like uh, the way I live. So 75% of people with kidney disease also have uh, diabetes or uh, high blood pressure, right? right? Or both. So for me, I look at it and I say, yeah, maybe in the future, if I'm you know eating poorly or living, um, you know, my my life is you know decreased in the quality of life I'm living, and I develop. Um, one of these one of these illnesses you know I have high blood pressure I have diabetes yeah maybe there is a chance that it would attack my one kidney but if that were to happen it, and I hadn't donated those lifestyle changes would cause 
uh, diabetes, for example, to attack both of my kidneys. Mm. So rather, okay, yeah, I only have one kidney. Maybe that buys me a little bit of time. But now I'm at the top of the transplant wait list rather, having, rather than having to wait five to ten years. So, And there's a heightened awareness like, yeah, I'm going to take care of my body. I have one kidney. It's plenty. But it, I'm, I'm still going to be aware that you know I want to make sure that I'm healthy. And so I, I don't know if this is really clear the way I'm conveying it. But I actually believe that my chances of getting kidney disease have decreased since, or dying of kidney disease, disease have decreased since donating because I'm going to be on the top of the list if I ever were to need it. And I've been checked for anything under the sun that would cause it where my transplant team was you know, very confident that I wasn't going to develop it, which is why they were able to, to remove my left kidney. Yeah, I mean, it makes a lot of sense. I mean, to me, it's like going through the process that you went through allowed you to create so much more awareness and just have so much more of a knowledge of how your body's functioning, right? Because to go through that process and have it done and to be cleared to have the surgery, you know, they had to do everything that they had to do in order to make sure that you're a healthy enough candidate to do so. And within that, now you have a better understanding of yourself and you know that, God forbid, if something crazy does happen, you're going to be taken care of because the way that the process is, it's going to have you at the top of the list, right? So I feel like that really does take away a lot of concerns that maybe someone would have going into something like this. Josiah, before we, we sign off here, if you had to just leave everyone listening with one message around kidney donation or or organ donation or, or transplants in general you know what, what's the message that you'd want the world to hear so i know i've talked about a lot of numbers that's how my mind operates and that's the process i went through i i just want to say that there are over a hundred thousand people right these are people with families these are people with lives these are people with dreams and aspirations and I've met a lot of these people on the transplant wait list waiting for a life-saving kidney transplant. And I think it's easy to look at the statistics, to look at the figures and think, oh yeah, they're you know, 100,000 plus people or they're this, they're that. But looking at the names, talking to these people, listening to their stories, spending most of their time in dialysis centers, it's, um, it's heavy, it's real and these people are real mm. and it it's, it's been really special to get to donate my kidney to a stranger I, I don't know him i do know it's a male in his 20s um but i just want to say thank you for to my recipient for this opportunity to to connect with this community to to get to see what i'm what i'm capable of and what i can create in this world and so I encourage everyone, whether or not you're wanting to donate yourself or not, do some research. You know, um, feel free to follow me on at Kidney Abundance. Um, follow along with my journey and spread accurate information. You know, it's easy to be scared and have an opinion about something that you haven't researched, but it really does affect people. So. Thank you for listening. I really do appreciate you taking the time. And thank you, Alvi, for the platform. Uh, I love you, man. And uh, I really appreciate taking this time with you. 
Hey, my brother, I love you too. And I appreciate you sharing your experience because it definitely gave me so much more of an understanding of what the process looks like. And I would imagine it's going to do the same thing for everyone listening to this right now. And man, man, just thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for what you're doing. And thank you for stepping out of your comfort zone and to be sharing your knowledge and your experience and your passion with everyone that's listening because it is so important. And I know it's going to lead to a lot of powerful things. You already directly changed one life, right? And just by that young man being around and being able to live and not have to worry about his kidneys anymore is, I mean, there's really not words for it. There really isn't. So I want to thank you for that, brother. And I'll be sure to, man, just share this information with as many people that I can and definitely put you in contact with other friends of mine who are doing podcasts that would love to have you on and and allow you to share even more of this information with more people. So I appreciate you, my brother. Thanks. Hey, much love.